So when you're carrying around 14 cell phones all day beeping, buzzing, ringing, like I was just a robot. Yeah, granted, I was making a lot of money, but I wasn't enjoying life. My income was, is this going to be enough? I need more. I never want to be in a position where I can't eat or have a safe place to sleep. So it was all fear-based every day, make more, never going to quit. Just keep riding the wave no matter how painful it is. Because I didn't enjoy looking over my shoulder every day. I didn't enjoy wondering who's wearing a wire on me. How have your childhood money wounds, big or small, impacted you later in life? Do you still carry pain, resentment, or shame around money? Our guest today is Eric Canori, a former multimillionaire cannabis kingpin who built an empire selling weed across the country, only to lose it all when the feds arrested him. Eric has an incredible rags-to-riches story fueled by poverty and childhood pain. Now, with time served, he shares his raw, uncensored truth about chasing money, as well as hard-won lessons on finding real happiness. I'm Bob Wheeler, and this is Money You Should Ask, a podcast where we explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. A quick heads up on this raw, uncensored conversation. It contains sensitive language and multiple references to illegal drugs and criminal activity. While we do not condone law-breaking behavior, our guest speaks frankly about his past experiences. If you have concerns about the content, we advise discretion. With that said, let's jump right into this real, unfiltered conversation with Eric Canori. Eric, it's great to have you here today. I'm super excited to jump into this conversation. Bob, thanks for having me. It's an unexpected podcast, but uh, I like talking about money. So what do you got? Well, let's <laughs> let's just start right out the bat. So you've got this book coming out, Pressure. You wrote this book. What inspired you to write the book? I know there's some life story in there. It's a true story. It's a true story about love, acceptance, and crime. And uh, when you're broke and you're a kid and you don't have anything to eat or a safe place to sleep and you're just searching for something, you'll do anything for a dollar. Yeah. And that, that was me. I, there was a time when I remember as a young kid where I was standing outside in the cold. I was like, if I just had some extra food and a safe place to sleep, I'd do anything for that. So. And did you grow, like, did you single mom or? My mom, my mom had me with my, when she was 22 and uh-huh. she divorced my father when I was one or two years old. Uh-huh. And then she remarried and moved me to a small town in upstate New York called Queensbury, New York, between Lake George and Saratoga Springs. Okay. That's where I spent most of my childhood. And like, so as a kid, you're seeing what other people have and you're seeing these celebrities and the posters and you're like, yeah, I'd sort of like some of that. Yeah. I wanted anything. Listen, if I had the cool sneakers, I'd have a pretty girl look at me. Right. But if you have the the clearance rack sneakers, nobody knows your name. Right. Nobody knows who you are. And that's a feeling of uh, insufficiency. Right. Do you, I mean, like, what's your earliest memory of that? Does that go back to like four or five? Did you get into sports or did you do anything to sort of like distract? Or my, mom, just... my mom rarely let me play sports. She's like, your grades aren't good enough. But my grades weren't good enough because I, li- I lived in a party house. My mom partied every weekend. Rolling Stones, cranking, partying, who knows what drugs. Yeah. Right. So that was her life was rage on the weekends. And then Monday through Thursday, pop aspirin and complain and yell. 
Right. And that was my roller coaster environment that I was raised in. And I didn't really want a part of that. I just sat on the sidelines and watched it all happen. Right. Hoping some pretty girl would notice me, but a pretty girl is not going to notice me when you're, when you're wearing clearance rack clothes. Right. And, and me being that dude, I'm like, I got, something's got to change. Right. So you went to college though. You. Yeah. My mom was good about push. She was really about education. She okay. was really about, she pushed me to go to college. So I went to Plattsburgh state university. Okay. Little four-year school, graduated on time with business management degree. Okay. Which comes in handy yeah. um, later on. Right. Uh, so. You had this, you had this vision when you went into business management, you still weren't thinking like maybe cannabis is the way like that sort of accidentally happened. Somebody like, yeah, I mean, I started hustling at a very young age. I was selling candy starting in fifth grade. I'd buy it for five cents, flip it for 10 in the lunchroom. So I started hustling, but that money would get confiscated if my mom found it. Sometimes teachers would shut down my operation if they knew I was selling it. So I'd be more and more discreet. And everything. I learned a lot about being discreet through my candy business and my other endeavors hiding. My mom was like the tax man. She took she took half of everything I made, put it in an envelope and saved it for a later date. Maybe need this for college or something like that. So I was saving I was saving fives and tens and quarters for college starting in fifth grade. Wow. Well, you know, that's but considering that she's out there partying and like, yay, Rolling Stones, uh, save fifty percent. Like that's pretty mindful at least that she i mean probably on your end that wasn't so great because you're like frick i'd like some better shoes but yeah um, she, my mom was really she's really good at saving money she just doesn't know how to make money right. so so she could we, like our family dinner out every few months was we cut coupons for wendy's and you know we go through the drive through and you're like yay or or taco bell i remember specifically the 89 cent tacos but i always wanted the chalupa that was a buck 69 and I, I never tasted that right until i had my own drug money to taste and when i honestly out of all the baller moments i've had in my life spending 50 grand a night at a party or anything like that most baller moment i remember is sitting on the curb in taco bell and when i was like 16 years old and eating three chicken chalupas that cost me like five six bucks highest and just (laughs) and just embracing that moment the taste and i was just like wow this is living yeah hey hey, listen taco bell living i i as a kid i can appreciate that um now did you have any brothers and sisters I grew up, I had half brothers and sisters. I didn't know my half sister that well. Okay. Um, my half brothers, my mom's side came at a later date. They're one's 13 years younger than me, oh, okay. one's seven years younger than me. So I was kind of just like a lone wolf trying to figure out how to survive on my own. Okay. Well, the reason I asked is we grew up at a big family. There were five kids. And if we went to McDonald's, that was like, oh my God, we're going to McDonald's. Like we did not go to McDonald's. You know, people are like, drive through and get some fries. We went to McDonald's maybe every three months and we were on a budget. And so, man, if you could get the Big Mac and a milkshake, woo, it was yeah, tough. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. tough. We so, had to share the fries. I never yeah. got my own fries. Give yeah. me one, one pack of fries for the family. Yeah. That was, that was like, and there were no sodas. You never get Coke, you get water. Right. You know, oh yeah. So it was like even Coke. I never even had Coke. We had there was like the knockoff brand that you could buy the store brand Coke for eighty nine yeah. cents. Yeah. It was like the the Coke, the real Coke was like a buck ninety nine. Yeah. So it was just my mom was really like I said really good at saving money, but not good at making. Yeah. I learned how to make money though. Yeah. So the first time you made like a big score, when you were like, I mean, was it incremental? Like it was very interme- in- incremental. I started at the bottom and I learned by losing 20 bucks, losing 50 here. I learned from a lot, very incremental, starting in my teens, 
working right up into my 20s. But like a big score, once I finally hit a net worth of a million bucks, that's mm-hmm. when I felt like I kind of made it. And I, I hit my net worth of a million between age 21 and 22. Yeah. While you were in college. Uh, I was or- right after I left college. I, okay. I kind of... When I was in college, they said make a resume, and that was right around the time the movie The Office Space came out. Remember okay. that in yeah. uh, two thousand one. Yeah, and I graduated. And I'm in the I'm in the college library trying to make a resume. Right, and I had a floppy disk and like this old oh, Mac geez. computer and the, like the print. Remember the dot matrix printer? Oh yeah, I couldn't get it to print or save on the disk, and I was just like, all right, this isn't for me. So I didn't even make a resume. <laughs> I just got out of college and started my own business. When you got into it, I would imagine if you're trying to schedule helicopters and trucks and all these kinds of stuff, Excel spreadsheets. I mean, you've got business management experience. So are you actually tracking this stuff or do you have to do it all in your head? A lot of it was in my head because I didn't want the feds to ever really understand my business. And I learned a lot about drug dealing, believe it or not, as a kid in the early 90s watching Miami Vice on VHS tapes that my mom recorded. Oh, wow. So I would just watch that show and I would just watch how they get the Coke kingpins in Miami and how they'd watch them living a flashy life and Don Johnson going after them. I love that movie, man. Yeah. It's like <laughs> that, that show, I should say. I understood how the judge put cases on these people because that's, well, everybody else was playing soccer and t-ball. I was sitting there alone as a little kid watching Miami Vice. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So as far as accounting for my business, it was usually in a, a small little ledger in my wallet that was in, encrypted and like it wouldn't have the real person's name and it would be like for lumber, but like whatever, X amount. It was an encrypted ledger. Yeah. And I never saved them. I would just re burn one and then make a new one the next week. I just, so there was never like a compound list of everything I had going on financially in my life. Well, and it's pretty much cash business. So you're not doing a lot of 30 day net payable. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, cash on delivery. No, actually, my whole business thrived off of consignment. People, oh, really? People, I got up to a point where all my customers had credit lines of a million bucks. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and it started obviously in college. It was small. Like I'd have a, somebody would have a credit line of ten grand. Somebody would have a credit line of twenty, thirty. But as you learn to judge character, you can kind of see who's a flight risk or not. Who's going to run away with my money or who's going to come back for more. And most of the time, people are going to come back for more. They're not going to run away. Yeah. What's the most you lost in one of those situations where somebody uh, uh, ended up running? Uh, well, honestly, I had such a great track record. Most yeah. of the money I lost was after I got arrested. Okay. I was robbed for a good chunk, 600 grand. Wow. Uh, but I wasn't even at home at the time. That was my own fault. There was a couple other people that I lost small amounts with because the Fed seized it. And right. they came up to me and I kind of just let it slide because they didn't talk about me. So I know you ended up getting to dig up all the gold to get your freedom. Uh, you probably overpaid. <laughs> oh my God, I paid way too much, bro. You know the amount I paid, right? It, millions. I paid them uh, close to $12 million. Wow. Okay. Did you, did you, you know I, I dug up the golden shackles. Yes. Okay. I mean, that's pretty, I'm like, come on guys, take off the shackles at least, right? I would have. You know, I probably would have made sure I had like 12 locations and told them seven. But um, yeah, that's a that's 12 million. That's a lot. But let me ask you this. When they first caught you, like, right, your almost girlfriend sort of like substituted somebody out and sort of messed everything up and some massage therapist, like basically, you know, threw you under the bus. Definitely not a happy ending. 
did you know they were coming for you or like they showed up? What's, what's really unique about my case. So there's a lot of big drug dealers. I was, I was a nine out of a 10. A right. 10 is when you take out the witnesses okay. and it's when the feds know about you and they have a surveillance. They're just always trying to get you or they let you go and work as long as you feed them information about your rivals. Right. For me, I was a ghost in the underworld. There's very, you, you, Hard pressed to find anybody running 50, 60, 70 million dollars worth of business a year without the feds even knowing you existed. And right. that was me. So when I first got arrested and they laid eyes on me, they didn't even know my name. They just stumbled upon me. There was a load coming to me, and I noticed before I unloaded a GPS tracker on it. So it got pulled over in the middle of the country. They put a GPS brought it to my property. And once I saw that GPS tracker, I didn't even unload the merchandise, I just told it to leave. And I took off in a separate direction quietly. And then once I was out of their sight, I punched it and I lost them at over a hundred miles an hour. And I was ready to flee because I could get a passport for 60 grand. And right. there was a lot of different things running through my mind at that time, but they had no idea what my name was. But I, uh, a couple hours later, I decided to come home and face them. And I drove back and they cuffed me up and said, basically said, tell me your name and everything you know, and what are you doing here? And nobody needs to know about this if you cooperate with us. Right. And I didn't say a thing. Wow. And what was that like when you made the decision, right? Because you know, it's not going to be quite as much fun and you're probably not going to get any Taco Bell or any fancy meals. Like things are about to get real, real. serious. Yeah, 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 real. But for me, the pain that I've, I've experienced in my life, it was almost another just roadblock in my life. Yeah. It's not like I didn't prepare for this. I had known from day one, eventually the cops are going to come. They're going to mm -hmm. cuff me up and say everything. So tell us what you know you got to work for. So, and I needed to say to myself, when that day comes, how am I going to handle it and how will I be prepared? And what type of war chest am I going to have to fight right. them? Because that's yeah. really what it comes down to. How big is your war chest? Yeah. So that's what I prepared for. When you get cuffed and they're like, okay, you're going to start serving day one. Oh, day one, believe it or not, was a relief for me, bro. Really? To, to not, I had 14 prepaid cell phones. I had three PGP encrypted Blackberries where we had our own servers. The feds couldn't even open those. They sent them to Washington, couldn't even access the data. Um, so when you're carrying around 14 cell phones all day, beeping, buzzing, ringing, like I was just a robot. Yeah, granted, I was making a lot of money, but I wasn't enjoying life. I right. was nonstop on call because... One thing that kept me under the radar for so long is I didn't have a ton of lieutenants around me to manage things. Right. Because people shit up. Right. And I had a 99.99% success rate. Right. Because I was the boss and I was hands on. Yeah. And uh, I could watch things. And, and if anything ever went down, I'd be able to isolate and stop uh, uh, infiltration of an investigation. That's why I like being hands on. Yeah. When that, when I got cuffed up, that was the best night I had slept all month in that prison cell, in that wow. jail cell. Yeah. I passed right out, bro. Nobody calling me. Nobody needed anything for me. Right. And it, it, keep in mind, I I'd eaten a lot of shrooms for like three days the day before, <laughs> like three days. I was at Bonnaroo Music Festival. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So this was in 2009 and I was tripping every day for three days straight. So I was exhausted. Right. And, and, and after shrooms, you sleep peacefully. Yeah. So when they cuffed me, it was just a peaceful sleep. And then the next morning when I woke up in jail and splashed the water on my face from the little steel sink yeah. and looked in that scratched up mirror, I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I won't be doing mushrooms for a while. <laughs> yeah, I was just sitting there. And I was like, man, all right, I, I need a phone call. That's yeah. what I really needed. Yeah. And that's, that's, 
And I didn't know anybody's phone number. I can't even remember how I found my lawyer's phone number. But somehow I got a hold of a few people on my team, family, lawyers, and eventually got bailed out. And the minute I got bailed out, they were on me like white on rice, bro. Really? They were tails, five, six cars behind. The only reason they gave me bail, in my opinion, is to follow me because I wouldn't talk to them. Right. So think about it. All right, we've got to let this guy, let's see who, who the, who the f- is this guy running around with a right. million What's and a half on? in cash. Back then, weed was a big thing in 09. Right. Right now, weed's nothing, right? Right. But it was valuable back then. Weed is not valuable right now. Right. Right. I mean, legal cannabis is struggling. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no, there isn't, well, I mean, depends. There's a little right. money for a few people. But. For a few people. When that money was coming in and thinking about your childhood, was it ever going to be enough? Like, could you have ever just said, yeah, I'm good. I got 10 million. I'm good. I can stop. Or it's like a little more, a little more. The the problem with me is all my income was derived from fear, right? It wasn't like I was passionate about, oh, I really love, I'm an architect. I love designing beautiful homes. It makes me feel good. My income was, is this going to be enough? I need more. I never want to be in a position where I can't eat or have a safe place to sleep. So right. it was all fear-based every day, make more, You're never going to quit. Just keep riding the wave no matter how painful it is. Because I didn't enjoy looking over my shoulder every day. I didn't right. enjoy wondering who's wearing a wire on me. I didn't enjoy being in bed with my girlfriend and not being able to tell her the truth. I just did a $2 million deal. I'm wondering if these guys are going to pay back. Like, I just couldn't talk about my shit. Right. So it's just, it's a lonely, it's a lonely profession in some ways. And that's why a lot of times I'll just call escorts. Honestly, I wouldn't tell them what I was doing, but they're good therapists. Yeah. Right. You know, for me, it wasn't just about the sex. I mean, I probably only had sex with a small percentage of them. It's more about scratching my back. Right. And relaxing me. Yeah. But they got to be Ukrainian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I miss those days sometimes. They know how to listen. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I like the whole, I tried, I've done some of the online dating stuff and it's just too much work for me. I've yeah. done that in the past and it's just, yeah. it's not as easy as it was. Like you go to the, they just show up to your room. Online date, you have to go to a restaurant. Right. That's a lot of work. That's right. Unless the food's going to be killer or something. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. And did you like, so now you're making all this money. You got a million plus in cash, all this stuff. Eventually got lots of gold bars under the, under the earth. Cause it's definitely doesn't mold like uh, real money. Did you ever feel fulfilled? Did you ever start to go, oh, that little kid that wanted to have all the things that these celebs had. Did you ever felt like you got there? I never, I was never in a position where I felt. I had it all. I felt stressed. I was just burying pain, bro. You you have to understand every single person you look at, you're look at the little child in them, age one to seven. Like you were 90% of who you are was programmed by age seven. Absolutely. So you look at me. Yeah. I have millions of dollars. I'm making millions, but I was just a little boy with pain still. Yeah. You know, I'm just sitting there like afraid, who know, afraid of not having enough. Yeah. You know, and they like, just that, 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 and that really helps you. That prevents you from living a blissful life if you're yeah. afraid. And, and that's a no amount of drugs can fix that. You can just keep taking drugs and you can cover it, which I did. Yeah. For many, a lot. Drugs can really cover a lot of pain. You know, there's yeah. some benefits to them. Like, listen, if I'm the, with the right people, there's, there's some benefit. Well, I shouldn't say there's benefit. I have no authority to talk on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people, 
that are selling end up getting addicted and then they end up losing the business because they're, they're self-indulging in their product, right? Just like any business. You can't right. use up all the inventory. Like, how did you make sure that you didn't go, like, was it just, hey, I'd rather have money in the bank and skip smoking. How did you keep yourself from, like, you got all I had fun. some scares. So in college, somebody wore a wire on me and the feds were watching me and they wanted to pinch me before I graduated. Wow. They had, there was a Coke bus. They said I was financially backing a Coke ring, which I didn't even know I was. I, I didn't touch Coke because there's too much heat involved. Right. But people were taking my money from the weed business and using it to bring Coke up from the city to my college town. I didn't even know that at the time. And it kind of entrapped me in this Coke bust. And after they got busted, they wore wires on me. So after that, when I left Plattsburgh State University, I moved to a small town and I said, I'm going to start a legitimate business. I'm going to make sure I don't sell any drugs within my town. It'll be all out of state. Right. So I used my new town as a hub. And uh, I just kept really focused on my legal business during the day. And at night is when I take care of all my shipments. Yeah. That's got to be a little crazy, though, just 24-7, never knowing if somebody's going to turn on you or if somebody's watching you or... Well, I'll tell you one thing, psych shrooms, shrooms were the one drug that kept me sharp because that gut instinct, the way when you walk into a room, you pick up on vibes, yep. it really goes from gut to heart to brain. Yep. So we got to listen to your gut. Those little VLI, all that little tingling, that's real. It's energy. So that's, that's really what kept me aware of who was wearing a wire. There's a lot of people that I turned down meeting yep. that would want to meet me like, hey, Eric, yo, I got a buyer coming into town. They're looking for X amount. Can you, can you meet them? And depending on the circumstance, how people were talking, the vibe, I would just turn things down a lot. It's too funny. For me, I'm like always worried I'm going to get caught. Like I'm not a good liar. I usually get like I turned beet red. I've been in a couple situations. I'm like, oh man, shouldn't have made this choice. Right. So I, even if I wanted it, like I would just go for the money. I wouldn't like, it would be like, yeah, I want that. But there's a part of me is like, oh, I gotta, I gotta be the good boy. Cause I don't, I don't want to get caught more so than I am of like, man, I could have 10 million bucks. I'd be like, <laughs> the, the only thing that kept me going is it might, it's kind of sad to say, but my childhood was scarier than going to jail or prison. Yeah. And, and then when you're in that situation, it's kind of like ride the wave to get caught. Yeah. I mean, and when you're operating from childhood stuff or operating from the little kid, you're just thinking different than an adult might be thinking or going, wait, that's maybe not the best decision. Or, you know, maybe it was, right? Like we're all going to take the path we take. That's one question I haven't answered. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I, I don't know where I'd be without it. I've learned a lot. I look at everybody else's life around me. I wouldn't trade mine. There's right. certain things I'd pull from other people's lives and bring it into my life, but I'm pretty centered. I'm at peace with what's going on in my life. How did your mom react? She was just embarrassed to, sh to me being in the news. Oh, okay. Seeing my name in the news, but I have a different last name than her. So she was so kind of protected. From what I read, you know, some of that money that you were saving, that was sort of for her in case anything happened, you could sort of go, hey, mom, if you go over here by Lake George, you can. Uh... I had different stashes kind of buried for different purposes. Yeah. And I had one particular stash. It was like, I don't know, around 1.5 million buried in the back of her house that she didn't know about. Wow. But if I, if I was on my deathbed and she came to me, I could say, go back here 10 paces and dig. 
and she would find it, which I've been in a position. I've been airlifted to the ICU t- twice, once caught on fire, another time collapsed long, broke ribs. I've done reckless shit. Yeah. I don't do it anymore, but right. I've slowed down. But I've had those chances like, shit, if I die tomorrow, I got to be able to somehow. Like unbury the stuff. Unbury I got to point somebody or else it's going to get found 500 years from now in some alien uh, metal detection equipment, right? They're going to be like, we found gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gold in them there hills. <laughs> so Eric, we're going to keep this conversation going, but for the moment, we are going to jump over to Test Your Nerve, which is brought to you by The Money Nerve. If you'd like to test your money nerve, go to testyournerve.com for a free quiz on your relationship with money. All right, here we are, down and dirty. Just uh, let's see. When will you know you have a safety net? When I have enough money to keep up with inflation so I can sleep in the accommodations I prefer. And do you, 10 million, 5 million, 100,000, any idea what that number might be? Or will you just know? Oh, that's embarrassing to say on here, really. If I had, a, if I'm in a position, I mean, I'm 44, 50 million. All right. That's a good number. That yeah. works. I can work with 50. Um, Listen, I don't need that to be happy, bro. I can, <laughs> I, you know. Fifty million is kind of like where I don't need to look at price tags, and I can just wake up and say, "What am I going to do today?" I'm good. I'm covered. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't need that, bro. That's just kind of like. No, nope. I'm going to regret saying this. I'll get brutal if people see this. You know, I'm going to get cut up on that one. That's all right. That's all right. Keep it rolling. All right. What was your last impulsive purchase? Um, impulse purchase, and was it worth it? Can't talk about that. <laughs> I can't talk about that, bro. It was, was worth, worth it. It, it was, yes. <laughs> impulse purchase. You know what's an impulse purchase for me? It's just buying a vehicle because wow. it only, it only satisfies me for like a week. Right. And then it's dirty. Right. It's dirty. And it doesn't really, I, I feel no different driving in a Toyota Camry versus mercedes s 500 or something it's the same i don't notice the difference bro right you know what i do notice the difference if i eat a shitty breakfast or not right that's when i notice the difference (laughs) yeah because that that rides with you all day exactly (laughs) would you say you're a saver or a spender Um, i'm an investor okay i'm an investor i like to put my money in places that's gonna feed me down the road yeah no absolutely how do you cope with financial stress I haven't had financial stress in a long time, thankfully. But the way I coped with it at a young age was I broke the law. Yeah. That, that's straight up. But, but hustled, hustled, right? Like I sold candy. I mowed lawns. I shoveled driveways. I dug ditches. Mm-hmm. I pushed wheelbarrows till I had calluses practically bleeding on my hands. Yeah. And I'll do that again tomorrow if I have to. I actually prefer doing manual labor than sitting behind a computer any day. Yeah. yeah. Right. I just sleep better. Yeah. Right? Like that's what we're, we're meant to move. We need to start moving more. Bottom we, line. We need to move more. We yeah. need to move more. Oh yeah. Um, and sometimes if the laws change us, we need to move a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I outran them, right? Yeah. I told yeah, you. Yeah. That. Right. That's pretty trippy. That would, for me, that would be pretty scary. I would, I would not do well. Um, I would not do well. In that a was a crime. rush. Yeah. Time went by so fast in that hour because I'm looking in the rear view though. I, just, I lost them. I built up a traffic jam on the highway. Yeah. To block them. And then once the jam was created, I took off at 100. And I lost them. I dipped off the next exit, got to a gas station, talked to my stepfather, told him where I had some money hidden. I was was ready to leave. Wow. But then I I said, you know what? I'm going to come back and face the law. It's just weed. I didn't kill anybody. Yeah. I'll do my time. It's just weed. Yeah. It's just weed. 
All right. Last question. What emotion do you most experience when it comes to money? Money is safety. You don't ever, I don't ever want to be in a position where I have to eat bleached bread. Yep. Right. I want, I want some good bread. (laughs) I want to eat the sourdough dank bread and that costs money, right? Yeah. That's, that's $8 a loaf and the other stuff's 90 cents a loaf. Yeah. All right. So, you know, organic, the good stuff, the good stuff, stuff, the Erewhon. Yeah. So just jumping back in, um, to this conversation, what like, and, and jumping off of this childhood stuff, what's the most money you spent on something and you went, yeah, or it was just no even big deal. Cause you, you know, money to burn, money to burn. I blew, I blew a couple million bucks on this little hobby of mine, creating this, uh, docu-series <laughs> in 2006 where I had somebody, I had this idea where I was going to travel around the country and interview hundreds of women about time, money, and sex in the relationship. Cause uh-huh. I was a little boy in my early twenties, didn't know anything about women. Yeah. So I spent a couple million bucks traveling around interviewing these girls and yachts and, and fancy hotels and being chauffeured around in Rolls Royces mm-hmm. and stupid stuff like that. And it was a, it was a waste of money. I, I, I look back at the videos and I'm embarrassed by some of the stuff I was doing. But but it was a good experience for me. I had to grow up one way or another. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And two million is two million. But did you, like when you spent it, it wasn't all at once. So it wasn't like, oh my God, two million just left. Yeah, my yeah. Pocket. One day purchase, like I'd blow maybe 80 grand a night, uh-huh. maybe doing, uh, throwing a party that I didn't even go to because my girlfriend was in the other room crying the whole time. Right. So I had to sit in the bedroom with her for four hours telling everything's going to be okay. Meanwhile, she's on uppers and downers. Yeah. And I'm just like, I just blew 80 grand on this event today. Like, I should be there. Yeah. It's my party. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a waste of money. What would you say to people that are out there who are listening that they don't feel fulfilled? Uh, they're feeling the lack. Like, looking back and having done some ayahuasca and having some um, psychedelics and done some reflection... Like, what would you say to people out there now? Or what would you say to yourself? If you have nothing and you're in a position where you think everything's crumbling around you, I would say the best thing you do is step into nature alone. Mm -hmm. You really have to get barefoot and literally dig your hands into the bottom of a stream bed somewhere where there's fresh water and really just understand the source of life and realize that you don't need to follow all the clever marketers. These marketers went to school for five, four, five, six years to learn how to sell you shit you don't need. Right. You don't need any of that shit. Go into the woods, touch the dirt, touch the ground, and say, what am I good at, and how can I provide value to the world? You might be sweeping floors. You might be a janitor. How the f*** can you make the best mop the best mop that's not going to leave streaks, a better mop to competition and start making that and come to me. Maybe I'll invest in you and say, I want to make a mop that's not going to leave streaks. So figure out what you're good at alone in nature without your cell phone. Yeah. And that's where you build with nothing. You only need a few hundred bucks really to get started. With the book, what do you hope is the takeaway for people? Like you, you know, you wrote this book, writing a book is not easy. At least it wasn't for me. What did you want people to take away? And, and, what do you want your legacy from this point on to be? All right, those two questions. First one, the takeaway is the takeaway is be loved for who you are, not what you have. Right. Like you can keep following the trends and getting the newest thing every year, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be out of the date by the time you even have a chance to wear it. 
Yeah. And then you're going to need to get a new thing. And yeah, you're going to get a lot of compliments. People are going to say, oh, I like your new jeans. I like your shoes. I like your car. Mm-hmm. I like all that. But do they like you? Right. Or do they like everything that you have? So really try to be loved for uh, who you are rather than what you have. That's number one. Really, I, I, I did that, bro. And it worked for a little bit, actually. Yeah. Believe it or not, I got the new sneakers and the girls kind of noticed me and they right. loved they loved that. I don't know how much they loved me. Well, they did a good job. I thought they loved me. They may have. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe. But you kept may- the shoes on. Hey, hey, hey. hey. I, I kept those shoes on in bed, bro. I guess. See my, see my red shoes? <laughs> oh, hey. So, so that in answer to that, the, the takeaway is that's the takeaway of the book. But yeah, there's yeah. so many threads within the book, sure, bro, about sure. real life, man. The, the greener grass on the other side and chasing the fairy trail dream and the yeah. Barbie and Ken. Yeah. And like, I spent a lot of time chasing that and I was hollow inside. Right. Yeah. And listen, money's not a problem, bro. Like I want to make a lot more. Uh, money's a great tool to For sure. do a lot of great shit with. So tell me, what was the second question? What do you want your legacy? What do you want at this point? You've written the book, you've had this journey. Where do you go from here and what do you want to leave behind? What's the imprint? When you're creating a business model, my business is to find a problem, create a solution. I mean, my, my thinking is find a problem, create a solution. And the problem I see right now is at the, when you really boil it down is everybody just wants to feel good at the end of the day. Yep. So the next business endeavor that I create, it's going to be a model revolved, revolving around helping people feel good. And I haven't fine-tuned what that looks like, but it revolves something around creating retreats or dwellings or places where people can come and reset and recharge. Because I feel like at the end of the day, we plug our phone into charge, we plug our car into charge, but the human body really isn't being plugged into spaces that charge us. We're just constantly, as the year is going out, a little more drained and drained. And I just want to have more and more energy as I age and time goes on. So I'm going to create environments where people can reset and recharge or just escape escape from the grind and come and plug into my spot even for a week so that's kind of my vision we'll see we'll see how it pans out but it needs to be near fresh water sources yep that's the first thing so i lock in the land and then i'll build the model around that and and the model is probably going to be something tokenized on the blockchain i haven't ironed out all the details but we'll see and do you think some of that comes from that reflection or the plugging in or you know just vegging out for a little bit was that from sitting around in prison and having lots of time to reflect? Or was that something that was already going on anyway? I grinded so hard and having all that money, I wasn't happy. Like you yeah. can go to the Mandarin Oriental and get a hot stone massage for 800 bucks. Right. But those hot stones aren't going to be as real as the free ones in the river. Right. They're just not. You're going to feel way better and it's free. Yeah. So me having a bunch of money and I always wanted to feel better. And I tried all these things, the saunas and the spas and the, it really nothing like being barefoot in nature, but I want to create that space and teach people about living in that way. I lost my train of thought. You know what? Bottom line is I like money and nature. <laughs> That's what I like. I like it all, man. Yeah. Why not? Why and not? I, I want to teach people through, through different mediums. I'm going to do another book, but the, this book's going to be more audio visual, like a course. Mm-hmm. A course for people feel stuck in a position where they don't know where to go. And I'm going to teach them how to get out of that position in a very user-friendly manner. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the education, a lot of the teachers I had in my mom be like, why do you have poor grades? 
And the teachers didn't inspire me, but there would right. be that occasional teacher where I'd pop off, I get an A. Right. Why'd I get an A? Because the teacher loved what he was doing. He wasn't reading from the syllabus. Right. He was like, jump up, sit on his desk. What are we going to learn today, guys? Yeah. Let's talk about this. And he was interactive. He was passionate about it. A lot of the teachers come in because you know why? They say, ooh, what can I do where I'll get the summers off? Right. That's yeah. how they choose to be a teacher. Yeah. We need better teachers for the children. That's the bottom line. So I need to create something that's going to teach kids how to really thrive and make it through the madness. Yeah, we have to engage them. Yeah. We have to engage them because yeah. right now I think it's just like, just do, just do, just do. Um, let me ask you this. I want to go back to a couple pieces. When you had to go dig up gold while in shackles, right? What, like, how did that conversation come up where it's like, hey, if you give us all your gold, we'll give you your freedom. Was it something you offered? Was it something that they had an inkling? Like, how did you negotiate that deal to be like, yeah, I'll take you to the gold? Yeah. So my case had been going on for a couple of years. They had a weak case on me the day they busted me. They seized all my assets, so I had to launder money to pay my legal fees, which between my legal fees, my private investigator, all that, the laundering the money, I was up over 700 grand just to right. fight. This is pretrial that I had to right. spend, and the lawyer wouldn't take cash, so I had to okay. allegedly launder it to get it in the system. into the system to pay the legal fees, and they re-arrested me a second time picking up a duffel bag of over 400 grand at a house while I was out awaiting trial on bail. They re-arrested me a second time saying I was laundering money and uh, put me in a jail cell. This time, no bail. They kept coming to me. Eric, Just they, they want you to work for them. That's what they want. You can get out of here tomorrow. And I wouldn't do it. Right. So after about four months, my lawyer comes to me and he's like, hey, Eric, listen, give them the rest of your money and they'll let you get on with your life. They know you're a good kid. And I go, well, can we get it in writing? And like, that sounds too good to be true. And he's like, you can't buy your way out of jail. It's just a form of cooperation. Right. You know, so I, I uh, mulled it over for a little bit and eventually sat down with the DA and the prosecutors and, well, I'm sorry, the prosecutors and the, the DEA, the right. guy that was following me around and knew more about me than probably myself. Right. You know what I'm saying? And when the DEA is on you and the feds are following you, they know what you eat for breakfast. They know what type of laundry detergent you use. They know everything. They spend like, I think it was like 1.4 million following me around. So my lawyer comes to me in the sales, like, give them the rest of your money. So we sit down. They're like, we know you have a lot more money. Give it to us. You don't have to see any more jail time or prison time. So eventually after a few weeks, we write up some type of contract that I'm going to forfeit X amount of dollars. We agreed on $5 million. I went out in the shackles, dug up the, between the 2.5 they already confiscated me and another 2.5 in gold bars I dug up. That met my obligation of the forfeiture. Right. They put me back in jail and they said, all right, tell us everything you did. And I didn't want to give them everything. So eventually I, I led them in that first proffer session, kind of let them realize there was more gold because I wanted to show the judge that I was cooperating further. Right. right. So I was like, I kind of insinuated there's more gold, but I'm not giving it to you. Right. So they threw me back in jail, sat in there for another three weeks. They already had five and a half million. Right. My lawyer's like, listen, they think you have more gold and they want it. So I went out in shackles again, gave them another six and a half million, took them to two other spots, six and a half million gold bars. And they, you should see four of them lifting up the chest three feet from the ground, oh digging God. this thing up in the, in the rain. And I'm all shackled up. My hands are pale from sitting in a cell with no sunlight. And uh, so now they had between the money they found in my house, the 
all in all, they had close to 12 million bucks in gold, and they, they let me out the next day. Gold and cash, 12 mil. They let me out the next day. I went back to my Ukrainian girlfriend, made me nice, <laughs> nice dinner, and I sat there and awaited uh, my sentencing. I ended up still getting time. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I was kind of like floored, but it's because I wouldn't work for them, I think. You know, if, yeah. I, if I really sat there and did what they, everything they wanted to do. Yep. Probably wouldn't have seen any more time, but doing that time was good for me, man. To sit there with the basic needs basic. in a cell, I mean, that really that really beats you down and shows yeah. you what's important. Yeah, totally. I'm curious, did they try and come at you with IRS stuff? Did they try and come in and say you owed taxes on all the money? Did like Because sometimes they do that. They'll use tax evasion or you're supposed to report any like illegal drug money and stuff. Um, extortion, embezzlement on the tax return, there's a line for you to do it that they purposely put in there to prosecute people for not reporting. Did they try and come at you from any legal standpoint? My my lawyer came to me at one point, I recall, and he said uh, something along the lines of, he's like, listen, if you don't give up your money, they're going to come after you with tons of charges. They're going to come after your family, tax right. evasion. You'll never see the light of day again. Wow. So part of the agreement was, I told my lawyer, I go, if I pay up this money, I want in writing that they're not going to come back after me for anything, anything, any type of criminal charges or indictments from this. You know, obviously in the future, if I do things, yes, but anything backdated. Yeah. You know, I'm, it's, it's interesting that you chose weed as your drug of choice, right, for business, but it wasn't like cocaine and it wasn't like you weren't killing people. Um, people just getting a little hungry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weed, it was for me, it was, I could, I started cause I couldn't afford the weed. Right. In, in high school, I smoked weed because it helped me socialize. Right. I didn't have to talk about my truth when I'm high. I could just laugh. Right. Somebody really asks you about your, the reality of your existence. Yeah. If it gets to this, you know, questions like that, you just laugh like you're high. Yeah. You don't have to answer shit when you're high. Yeah. But when you're sober and you're hanging out with all the cool kids and they're like, hey, can you do this or can you do that? And you have to say, oh, I can't afford it. Right. That's a wow. shitty, that's a shitty feeling to not be able to afford to do what the cool kids do. You know, I didn't sit at the cool, cool table in the cafeteria. Yeah. I looked over across the room at the cool table. Right. They invited me there eventually, but I felt even awkward going. Yeah. I felt awkward going because I didn't have the right backpack or the right mm -hmm. this. And like, so. I sold weed because I couldn't afford to buy it. So yeah. I would smoke it $30 eighth. And then people, everybody would ask to smoke with me. And I'd be like, they smoked the whole bag. I just spent 30 bucks on me. For me, for me to make that 30 bucks, I had to mow freaking six lawns after my mom took half the money. Right. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I need to start selling weed. Yeah. Everybody wants to smoke my weed. I'm going to sell it. And when, like, I'm thinking, because I, I totally relate to this piece. Like, I was in high school and didn't get to go on the biology field trip because we didn't have any money, right? And there were certain things where I had to go, yeah, I'm going to sit this one out. It doesn't look fun. But the truth was, didn't have any money. Like, when you think into that right now, like, you feeling into that, like, yeah, I can't afford that. Like, I can't, I can't play with the cool kids. Like, can you, do you still feel a little bit of, like, that? little kid that's like i can't play with the cool kids yeah there's like yeah i actually felt it today because i rolled i rolled this little beach this airbnb i'm saying they have a beach cruiser bike i could rent and i rolled by shutters on the beach and i remember staying at shutters on the beach like i was like yeah i heard the rolling stones used to stay there a lot so i was like 
I was I was in love. I loved the Stones growing up as a kid. So yeah. like I'm gonna stay there. So I, every time, well, not every time, but the last time I was in L, I stayed at Shutters. That's an expensive bill. By the time all the shit, I spent like ten grand there. Right. And I was sitting there on my bike t- yesterday, <laughs> looking at all the people going. And I was like, I mean, I can afford to do that, but I'm not wasteful anymore, right? right. Like I have to be smart. I don't have buku bucks. I'm rolling in like the old days. And I was just sitting there, and I did for a minute. I felt a little inadequate. Yeah. I was sitting there. I was like, what did I do wrong? Mm. You know, and I'm like, but actually where I'm staying in this little Zen cottage is actually way more baller than staying in that shutters. Yeah. Because I walk out my doors and right there I'm barefoot on the ground. Yeah. Like instantaneous. So it's actually a better vibe. So, so I'm actually made out actually. Well, I would think a lot of people at shutters or a lot of places, and this isn't a, well, I mean, it's an observation. I won't say it's a judgment. But I think a lot of people are out there presenting, right? So if you're at shutters, you got to behave a certain way and you got to look like you belong and you got to look like you at least drive the right car or travel in the right circles, right? It's a lot about presenting. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't walk out of my room at shutters and curl up on a ball on mushrooms and melon to the ground. Right. You know what I'm saying? I could do that at the Zen Cottage. Exactly. <laughs> Not that I do that, but you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, more, yeah, yeah. I feel more myself where I'm at right now, actually. Is it? As important today as it might have been for the little kid to present well? No. No. But there are moments when I feel inadequate. Like, because mm-hmm. there's certain people I know that, let's say, they own horses that race at the track. And they're dropping, these people drop big money on it. Like, just spend uh, a million bucks on a horse. You know, just like that on a whim. And, and I'm sitting there like, Damn. You know, expensive dinners too, ten thousand dollar dinners. Like that's that's to me. I when I if I when I sit at that table mm-hmm. with that crew, I feel a little inadequate. Yeah. I feel a little little uncomfortable. Like, but I don't I don't miss it, bro. Right. Because a hundred thousand dollar watch is dead weight to me. Right. Like, why the f- would I want to wake up in the morning and take the extra step to put on a watch? It's going to take me, you know. 30 se- the way I look at it is 30 seconds to put it on times 365 days a year. I just lost a few hours of my life putting on a watch that's going to weigh down my left arm. Right. I want to be free and move. Yeah. Like, especially if I got to outrun something, right? Like, <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be, I like to be agile, light, and I like to fl- coast through life feeling light. Yeah. And that's, that's why I really like food, exercise, good shelter to me is the most important. Yeah. And actually those people that are balling out like that still, that I, I kind of want to help them in a way. Cause when I look at them, I know when they go home at night or they wake up in the morning, they're going to have a headache. I'm waking up feeling good. So, and I know, but I, I kind of don't want to tell people what to do. So yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't open my mouth. I don't say shit, but yeah. in a way deep down in my heart, I'm like, if I can just pull you aside from the party for a minute. I could probably tune you up a little bit and then you could just coast even higher. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So little kid, man, I wish I could have the nice tacos, right? Uh, Wow. I wish I didn't have, uh, you know, the discount shoes at any point where you're like, it's my mom's fault or something's really wrong with me. Like, was there some exterior, either her or them or life that, you directed any anger or resentment towards or did you always feel like you know this is my shit bro i have to be honest it's the only thing i'm wrestling with in those ayahuasca ceremonies is the relationship with my mother 
I still have pain, bro. And I don't like to blame because mm-hmm. at the, it's, she's my mother. She obviously loves me, right? Right. She, but something happened in her life that's really set her perspective in a way different direction than mine. And I don't talk to my mother anymore. Okay. Like, I just don't. I don't see them. They, they, every drug dealer that's smart has a legitimate business on mm-hmm. the side. Right. And I had a legitimate business, but I, my name was never anything and my, my family kept it. So I came out of prison without my legitimate business, and that was a, that was a knife in the heart. Wow! If somebody else did it, like you or somebody else, would be like you face, right? You know, but family to do it—that's just heart wrenching, bro. And I haven't healed, man. The only reason I haven't gone off the deep end is that because I don't do—I don't drink. Like mm-hmm. if I drink and really run myself down, I'd probably collapse. But I stay healthy so I can handle the pain. Yeah, you know, so. Yeah, that's that's real deal, bro. Look, the parent thing. It's 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 uh we needed something when we were kids. We got it or we didn't get it. A lot of us didn't get it or we didn't get it in the flavor we wanted. And and then we spend a lifetime most of us trying to figure out how to reconcile that. At the end of the day, I try to remind myself to be thankful for what I have mm-hmm. because there's so many people that had it way worse than me. My mom did the best from her understanding of life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I look around, even just cruising around on these streets on the bike, you know, watching the homeless people and stuff. I'm like, these are people that have been in positions that I can't even relate with. Yeah. Right. Like a pain where, you know, I had the pain, but don't get sure. me wrong. I just had a little more. Like I was at a point in, in, as a kid, I was going to jump. I stood at the edge, yeah, 180 foot drop. And that's when I actually said, I'm going to deal, sell weed. I made the yeah. choice actually that day. I talk about it in the book. Yeah. But there's other people that don't do that. You know, part of the reason I have a little more strength too is because my, my biological father, which I don't really know that well. Mm-hmm. I remember visiting him for for the visitation rights as a kid, and he was a really like we'd watch the Rocky movies, right? And the you're gonna make it, bro, like yeah. running through the and that shit pumped me up. I would yeah. watch those on replay. That inspiration right there, I think, is part of what's kept me alive. Yeah, what I've really love about this conversation is like I haven't heard a whole lot of blame, right? And even if there's blame there, you sort of you know keeping it to yourself or taking re- ownership of it. Right. And not trying to put it out in the world that it is, it's everybody else's fault. Right. I don't hear you saying like, wow, I can't believe this happened to me. Oh, my God. And I and I ended up going to jail and this people ratted me out. I, I hear like, yeah, I knew it was coming. I knew the risk. And like, hey, I, I went in facing it head on, even though uh, maybe everybody else hasn't been there. Like you keep showing up. You wrote the book, not just because like, oh, I'll just write the book. There was a, because you wanted to inspire other people because you wanted to let people know, hey, this is my story. Maybe you resonate with this story and you're out there trying to like make a difference in whatever way you can make that difference. Right. And I hope that some people from this today hear this and go, oh, wow, you know what? I'm going to get inspired to actually do it a little bit differently because I've been hiding in the shadows or I've been afraid to step up or I haven't felt that self-worth and they get a little bit of inspiration from this conversation. I hope that too. I hope that too. Cause there's a lot of people, I know there's people out there struggling, Yeah. especially nowadays. I couldn't even imagine growing up as a kid with social media. Yeah. Imagine having a picture and then a heart underneath it and your validation hinges on how many hearts you get. Oh my God. Yeah. I thought, you know, before the love just came from, 
what they're thinking. Now right. it's actually registered on a right. counter. Right. And you're like, I, uh, I, three I, likes. There's something you can do about that. If you only have three likes, maybe you just shut it down and don't buy into their little f***ing game. Yeah. yeah. Shut it down. It's honestly, it's a fuck. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a pretty wise dude and mentally strong, but sometimes it even f***s in my head. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Life is a challenge and stuff comes at us and yeah. we're human. That's what makes us human. Uh, question is, can we find the whatever, the wherewithal to say, I'm going to keep stepping forward anyway, no matter what shit comes my way. Where can people find your book? Where can people find you on social media? I, I actually brought a book for you right here. Too. Oh, awesome. I brought a couple of them here. All right. Pressure, 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 pressure. pressure. It's a memoir by Eric Canori. Uh, you can find it anywhere online. Amazon, there's the ebook and the paperback. Uh, I need to get, I need to do an audio book at some point here soon, yeah. but I haven't had the guts to reread these words again. I, I read them so many times, writing it myself and editing it. And like, it's just so, I'm going to do an audio book eventually here, but not yet. Pressure, a memoir by Eric Canori. C-A-N-O-R-I. If you really like it, send me a message. I try to answer. I'm not famous or anything like that. Well, hopefully the second book will be not as much pressure. <laughs> oh shit! The, ne the next book, the next book's not going to be so much about me. It's going to be about you. Ah. Like I'm going to teach you how to win and get whatever you want in life. Nice. With nothing. Nice. And where can people find you on social media? Social online? media, Instagram. I need to start being more active on there. Uh, that's the best place to find me online. Eric Canori cool. on Instagram. Well, we'll we'll make sure we share all that in the notes. But I always like to just let it be heard in the universe, Eric. Uh, any final thoughts um, as we wrap this up, like as we've talked and anything that just comes up that you just want to put out there? Um, no, I'm really thankful to be, to be on the show. Everything that I want to put out there is in the book for right now. Yeah. Like there's a lot of threads in there that are going to help you reflect on the choices that you're making right now. Yeah. Like, cause I don't care who you are. Like there's something that you can relate to in there, whether you're a soccer mom, a drug dealer, a corporate attorney. The CEO, Fortune 500 exec. There's something in there that you can relate to. Yeah. Thanks for having me on here. I hope you guys have a great day. And uh, thanks, Bob. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Right. Hey there, Money Master. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn some valuable insights around your relationship with money? Our guests shared some of their financial epiphanies. You might have experienced one too. Don't just sit there with that aha moment. Share it with us and the world by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Or leave a comment on one of our socials, at Money You Should Ask. Let's spread the word and help others explore their financial health too. But that's not all. Do you want to live in abundance and build wealth that can sustain you and your family for generations to come? It only takes one thing. The willingness to change the way you think about your money. It's time to test your money nerve and discover what's been holding you back from financial freedom. Take the free quiz now at themoneynerve.com and begin your journey towards a prosperous future.